If if Picasso paints a painting, mm-hmm. that is the only painting. Probably. If I want to buy it, I have to go to Italy mm-hmm. and buy it from him. He has to hand it over and I have to ship it back. When you're buying things online, you as the person who made it probably doesn't own the original because the original is only on paint or InDesign or wherever you made it. As soon as you even copy it to like a different folder, that's technically not even the original. A great example is Pokemon. Mm-hmm. How much money would you pay to own the IP for Bulbasaur? A lot. Yeah, um, a lot of money. Fuck ton. Yeah. Right? Theoretically, if this brand of Board 8 becomes something, having your silly monkey and owning the IP to that monkey mm-hmm. when they turn into a video game or a set of cards or something that have real value and you get residuals because you own the IP for right. that specific one, then it would make sense. Mm-hmm. But if you don't own the IP, what are you buying? Today's guest is someone I'm super excited to have. Great friend of mine, excellent e-commerce master, marketer, and very good friend. Let's welcome my guy, Seth Maldonia. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, man. It's a pleasure. How are you? Yeah, yeah, let's cheers. I'm good, bro. You know, it's really fascinating. You're one of the few people I know who's like, you've lived your whole life in the LA area. Mm-hmm. And you are just a genius marketer. It's one thing I've always found really fascinating about you, man. Just tell me a little bit about how you got into the e-commerce thing and like, you know, why you've kind of started transitioning into managing talent, which is something we've connected on from like day one. Yeah, yeah. We always have those combos, huh? Yeah. So um, I originally got in when I was in high school. I was always like a really creative kid. And I used to draw products on like, like just random products that I thought would be cool. Right. On uh, like a, uh, what is it? Like a Yellow Pages. Yeah. Right. One of the days I was at one of my friend's house and I was drawing my, like just a product. I had it with me. I had to take some notes. And one of my other friends was there. I had met him through that one friend that we were at their house. Mm-hmm. He actually launched like, this is way beginning. So this is like maybe 2010, end of 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. So like influencer marketing didn't exist. Right. Instagram was new. There was those big meme pages, right? Like, um, like fuck Jerry, all that, yeah. right? Hood clips. So this guy, what he used to do is he used to build up those pages. He used to have like thousands and thousands of meme pages. One day I showed him those products that I used to, that I used to draw on paper and he kind of just like, I, him and I got along just like how you and I clicked right away yeah. and you were on the same wavelength, him and I were on the same wavelength and he like showed me how to do e-com and he, he literally showed me e-commerce. I didn't even know you could make money online. Right. So, so like, he was like a pioneer, like he was like early on to the game. Very, very, very early. Yeah. Interesting. Facebook ads didn't exist at that time. Yeah. They, were, they weren't that good. So. But I mean, now it's like a game. I mean, I've seen people have made billion dollar brands off the Facebook stuff. And mm-hmm. like, obviously things have changed. It's not, seems like a bigger, you know, barrier to entry. It used to be like people were just drop shipping anything now, like back then. But now it seems like there's more of like a finesse to it. It mm-hmm. seems you have to actually like know what you're doing. Yeah. You so know? like back then you could launch anything on Facebook ads. Yeah. It would work. Anything, because the algorithm was so potent. Now it's like the algorithm kind of just goes up and down. And that's what the whole shit where like they were taking too much info from people, right? Like, like what what happened where the algorithm got worse? I guess this is something I've never really understood. You've tried to explain it to me before. Oh yeah. How did it get worse? So like back then, because there was less marketers on the platform, they had more real estate, so they could charge you less and cheaper for the ads. So it's exactly like real estate. So before they bought Instagram, that was just a real estate play. They needed more ad space. 
Ah, right. YouTube doesn't have that problem because YouTubers are the ad space. Right. So, oh, that's so fascinating. So yeah. So that's very interesting. So on YouTube, every single video they mm -hmm. have. No, it's not like they have a of not losing a breath of videos. They have a billion videos. Of course. Hours and hours of content, and there are a million different people on the platform, mm -hmm. and it's very easy to target them. So if you're a brand and you say, "Hey, I want to find," you know. 16 year old Gen Z's mm -hmm. uh, who are male and you know like sports then you have a big set of content that you can kind of push to but you're saying on Facebook they basically were running out of inventory yeah and then buying Instagram allowed them like a whole new wavelength of abilities to, to market to people I guess yeah because they only rolled out that the Facebook ads to Facebook remember the feed Facebook yeah. feed yeah. that was the only place you could place ads before Really? Yeah. Where can you put them now? So you can put them now there and Instagram. IG feed, IG story, Facebook feed, Facebook stories. Right. So that's interesting. So don't you the, feel the like the news thing on the side? I forgot what it's called. You know that news thing on the right side? Yeah. You yeah, can do it yeah, there. They stole that shit straight from Snapchat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I don't understand, right? So they have Facebook. Mm -hmm. They have a volume problem. They basically buy more real estate mm -hmm. by getting Instagram. How does that lead? to the algorithm getting worse, right? Wouldn't you feel like they could target even more specifically or, or were there just too many marketers? Though? So you, you could. So like there's two things. It gets more expensive, which means it drops your margin. And then mm. the, the algorithm started breaking with the iOS stuff. So because they removed right. the targeting. So now it's expensive and you remove the targeting. Right, right. So now it's literally just like up and down. And just, and just to explain. So when you talk about the margin, that's the whole play of Facebook, right? It's like I, it's a spend money to make money game, right? right. So you kind of explain this to me. So. Theoretically, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to put in $10,000 into advertising mm -hmm. with the goal of selling $12,000 for the product. So uh, you can look at it that way. There's with marketing and with advertising, I should say, in uh, particular, you can look at it in multiple ways. Okay. I don't look at it like big, like I'm going to put in a chunk and I'm going to get out a chunk. Yeah. Um, the way I look at it is like, how much of the product does it make up? So for example, I'll give you like a really good example. Yeah, yeah, give it to me. You know Glamnetics, the magnetic eyelashes? Yes, dude, they're going crazy right now. Right? That was a dropshipping product before. Really? That was a dropshipping product. I don't know if they got it from there, but I used to see that product on dropshipping. It was like a shitty like magnet um, like But it wasn't gloss. called Glamnetic, right? Like, no, it wasn't called Glamnetic. And they mar they Th that was their marketing play. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. It was just a random white label product. Mm -hmm. You can get it from Alibaba. The, pro the reason that product was such a good product, because it's a sticky product. That's what like a lot of advertisers call it, because you have to rebuy. Yep. So you could run a subscription. Ah. It costs like two bucks to three bucks, and you could sell it for sixty. Gotcha. So, so even if Facebook so low, low cost of entry, big margin. Exactly. And you have to rebuy, so you're getting big margin on each play. So explain to me how that fits in with the marketing. So is it like right. there's more money to make up there? Exactly. So basically, let's say I'm I'm trying to target you on Facebook, yes. right? If I have a $3 product that I'm selling for 60, that might, that means I have $57 worth of wiggle room to try to get you as a customer, ah, okay. right? Okay. So that's where it comes in. Now, if you make the mar Facebook ads more expensive, it gives me less wiggle, wiggle room, meaning like if I have the ads on and I'm starting to go negative, the likelihood of me turning the ads off because I'm not making sales is very high. Right. That's why the price kind of messes everybody up. So is that why, so basically, so it's sounding like this kind of Facebook marketing play only works with high margin items. You, you can know, get it to work with low margin. You have to do like stuff on the funnel. Like you have to mess with your, you have ooh, to like, talk to me. okay, give me the funnel. That's like funnel. super like digital marketing stuff. Like no, you have to like, I like, I like the, I like the, the nitty gritty. Yeah. So like you can, like, let's say you have something that has less margin. Okay. You have to like on your funnel, you have to like upsell people. 
You have to upsell, uh, so you're jacking up the AOV, the average order value, so, okay. and then that's what you're looking at. All right, so I want to stay with you. So my product, instead of being three bucks, is ten bucks, mm -hmm. and I can only sell it for forty bucks. Exactly. Right. So, but I have to spend thirty dollars in ads to acquire a customer. Right. So to get one customer, I spend thirty in ads, ten on the product, so I'm breaking even. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is when they go to buy the Glamnetics or whatever. They also get like a polish or some shit that is a higher, uh, a higher margin to make it up. Like, like yeah. So that. like you can, so you can do that. There's multiple ways. So like you can do what you just said, like break even on the front end, and then you can upsell a product where you have really high margin. You still made money. Uh -huh. So you broke even on your ads, but through the funnel as they go, you start you're still making money on the back end. Mm -hmm. So it's just like back end sales for a car dealership. Right, because that's why they sell like warranties, exactly, and extra tires, and all that shit. So they can not making a huge margin on the car itself. Exactly. So if you go with a fist fight, them they bring that margin down on the front end for the MSRP of the car. They're going to try to make it up with you on the back end. Right, which is why you never really get a good deal. Exactly. Right, even if you get the car for below MSRP, between all the markups and the fees, dude. I went, I bought a car. Well, my current car a year and no two about a year and a half ago mm -hmm. right before the market for used cars went crazy so thank god like i could probably sell that car today for more than i bought it which blows my fucking send mind. it dude <laughs> but no i like it too much but i don't know man you there's a certain number i might have to make that decision but but <laughs> but the point is yeah like it's so crazy you go and it has one price in the sticker let's say used car 15 grand for a pretty good used car dude by the time you check that thing out it's gonna be 20. Mm -hmm. They will find a way to make that margin up. And you're saying it's like the same thing for like the digital world. Exactly. They can even do it through the finance side too if they wanted to make it up. Digitally? No, like not in cars. In cars, uh, yeah. Because yeah. you go through like Ford Finance, right? So right. if you, they, get, they get you like 4% APR, they're still making money on you. Right. So like they're, they're, they'll find a way, essentially, no, through 100%. the funnel. You know, one thing I've always really liked about you and respected about you is from day one, you've been a grinder. Like, you work. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Every time it. I talk to you, you have some new idea. And it's great. It's inspiring. And a guy like me, like, I like to hear that. Mm. But it's just like, I've never really talked to you about, like, where that comes from, man. Like, you know, have you always been a work, work, work guy? Like, are you just passionate about the marketing space? Like, mm. you know, because it seems like you're always getting up in the morning to do this shit. And, like, sometimes I really struggle with my motivation. Sometimes I'm like, I just don't want to do it today, you know? Yeah. For the, for the e-com side... I failed a lot in the beginning. So it was like a front loaded fail. I used to spend a lot on ads and I didn't know what I was doing. That's how I learned it. it was like the guy that I first met that showed it to me, he just showed it to me. I didn't learn how to run ads through them, right. through him. So uh, I spent a lot of money trying to figure that out. Then I met some other digital marketing friends of mine I've mentioned to you before. And uh, they taught me more and more how like the technicals of how do I run ads. So I just always liked e-commerce. I just think it's cool. Like you can run, like make money from anywhere. Basically, right. and you can just run a digital brand like you'll walk around Los Angeles, see people wearing the brand and nobody knows that you're the owner. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's awesome. But I'm saying more like intrinsically, right? Like I've seen people who have something interesting, you know, because it's not even something you're passionate about. Like mm -hmm. someone told you about it mm -hmm. and then you dove in and you like motivate yourself from that success. But a lot of people, man, when they are unsuccessful on something, they give up. Like, you're always just trying to find a way to make things work, which I find very interesting. Like, I just want to know, like, where do you think that comes from? Oh, like, like the, I got what you mean. Intrinsically. I honestly, my, I don't know. My parents used to work really hard, like, when I was a kid. Uh -huh. I never saw, like, everyone was always busy, busy, busy. Right. So I was the same way, just busy, busy, busy. You just grew up, like, yeah. 
Yeah, you never saw like laziness and you just saw no. like success is really the only option. Like I don't that. even now I don't like doing it. Like if I don't have any physical work to do, I'll just go to the gym. Yeah. Or I'll go out. <laughs> and that's and what I'm I'll, saying, that but that's a mentality yeah. that so many people don't have. You know, and, and I feel like that's one of your biggest strengths, honestly. Like we're all gonna die, dude. Might as well. Right. You know what I mean? Like you have a you have a long time to lay down, bro. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? So like just do something. Are you I a don't big know. Sleeper? Like how many hours a night do you sleep? think normally like recently like i sleep at 2 1 30 and i wake up at 8 oh wow so six like it's six. not bad that's yeah, not, it's not, not bad, bad but for me dude i don't know even on like my biggest grindy days like i gotta sleep that's like my one thing some and days it, that happens to me I, i'll do that it's not like every day i do the two to eight you know what i mean someday yeah, like no. today i woke up at like 10 30 okay yeah okay. yeah because i was just really tired yesterday i was that's all like over the place for you man yeah yeah <laughs> no it's good you know what's really interesting right so how do you focus on yourself when you're always grinding? Like, you know, how do you take care of yourself or is like taking care of yourself part of the grind? Yeah, it's like, no, it's oh, really man, important. If I'm not busy, let me go work out. You know, like, do you ever feel like, sometimes when I work a lot, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I'm being left behind. Like I feel like extra tired and lazy and I just want to stop because I've just been work, work, work mode all the time. Mm -hmm. But like every time I've spoken to you, you always seem to have a really good balance. Yeah, I like, I just try to make it a routine. I used to be like a really fat kid. Yeah. I used to be like 200 pounds. Really? Yeah, when I was in high school, I was like really chubby. Wait, 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 wait. Like, how? How did that happen? I have no idea. Right. That was, I was just like, I would, maybe I would overeat probably. Mm -hmm. I think that was it because I wasn't conscious of how much I was eating, like volume wise. Right. So, and was like. Was all the way through high school or was it like there was a point where you decided like, I gotta change? Yeah, that was like after I ended high school, I was like, I'm done. Right. Because I'm just tired of this. Right. I'm like, yeah, it's like your, your energy is always like peaks and valleys, mm -hmm. right? Like usually when it, because you have so much like insulin and you're having so much sugar mm -hmm. that you're just kind of going up and down and up and down. Right. You had a lot of crashes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Just, I so, just didn't like it. So tell me about that moment. You look yourself in the mirror and you just say, I'm going to change. I'll tell you the exact moment. Talk to me. I was with my best friend in San Francisco. We went to a diner in the meatpacking district of San Francisco. Okay. I ate so much and my best friend was like, dude, my best friend's really skinny, yeah. right? So he was like, dude, like what the fuck? You're eating a lot. And I was like, you know what, bro? I'm fucking tired, tired of this shit. I'm done. When we get back to LA, it's like grind mode. And then I, it was literally like a fucking movie. Like after that day, <laughs> I was like, they didn't even see me for six months. I would eat like really clean. All I would do is run at like uh, Crunch Fitness. No, well, I mean, you're still running now, right? Mm -hmm. no. I run every day. Really? Dude, every day? Every day. How long? I go twice a day because I meet my best Run friend. Twice a day, every day. No, I go to the gym every day. Sorry, oh I'm clarify. Jesus Christ, dude. I wake up at eight and then I'll drink my coffee and chill out. I usually don't look at my emails or anything in the morning right. for like 45 minutes. That's smart. It's just like burns my eyes, bro. Right in the morning. You gotta have some kind of yeah. moment to yourself before you hit the grind mode. Exactly, just chill for a second. So I just make my coffee, I'll go to the bathroom, drink water, whatever, mm -hmm. change, brush my teeth sit down for a little bit, like 8.45, I'll go for an hour run at the gym, come back, get to work, and then I'll just change into my second set of gym clothes, and at five, I'll go with my best friend for weightlifting. Really? So that's it. Wow, yeah. dude, and how long have you been doing this? He, went, he became an attorney, so like he, the schedule was a little bit messed up, because he was like getting through different jobs and stuff, and they were running the grind. So we started again like a month ago, but me and him used to go for like four years together oh, at that man. time. So we, we just dipped down and then we picked it back up. It was like very easy. No, that's awesome. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. It's so funny. I feel like, you know, it's like a silly question, but like, do you have like hobbies? Are there other things you like? 
Because yep. we only talk about work, man. Dude, I like I like like e-com and talent. Well, I know I work love is, it, is your hobby, right? I actually really do like it, yeah, honestly. I mean, in many ways it is for me, too. Yeah, but I do have hobbies. Like, we go and shoot guns. We go um, Oh, you're a shooter. Mm-hmm. I had no it's idea. Cool. It's cool. Uh, it's very expensive. That's why I said... To shoot guns? It's extremely expensive. How so? Dude, ammo is like three times the cost than it was before COVID. Really? Okay, okay, wait. So, I've never shot a gun. Mm. Well, no, never shot a gun. So, I don't really understand, like, the system. Do you just show up with your own gun? Do you run them there? You can like, do both. What do you typically do? I take my own. Okay, and but you don't bring your own ammo. You buy the ammo? You can do that as well. So, you can take your own ammo, and then you can they give you a wristband. Basically, the only way they make money off you is through the admission. Ah. Or you can go and buy the ammo from there. A lot of times you're going to burn through ammo when you're shooting anyway, so you're going to buy ammo from there anyway. Gotcha. So even yeah. if you come with it, you're going to run out. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Like, yeah. So that's how they make money. <laughs> I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know you were a shooter, bro. But it's expensive, bro. Guns are really expensive. Especially in California. They're give really me, expensive. Give me the uh, the ammo numbers, because I have no comparison. Like, to me, like, ammo is like five bucks. I, it's okay. like, yes. You know. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, like, <laughs> nine millimeter is, like, the common round for a lot of people. Yeah. That's, like, very common. Okay. For all, almost like the Toyota of, of like, ammunition for guns. <laughs> it's very, very common that nine millimeter people are running that round. That, before COVID, I used to pay fifteen ninety nine for 50 rounds, so it comes in a box like that. Okay, I don't even understand the math of rounds. If I have one round, how many shots is that? It's one shot. It's one bullet. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was like a round, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, sorry, a round is like a synonym for bullet. Ah, okay, yeah, so yeah. one round, so 15 shots, how much? No, for, for 50 bullets, it was 15.99. 15.99 for 50 shots. For 50 cool. shots. Pre-COVID or post-COVID? Pre-COVID. How much are they now? Like 32, 35. Oh, so like over double. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then it goes up. So if you go up into bigger bullets, like nine millimeter is pretty, like it's decently sized. Like right. cops use nine millimeter or 45. Mm-hmm. If you go to like 45, it goes to like, I don't know, $42 for 50 rounds. So you're starting to get up to where it's like a dollar a bullet. Right. It's and, like, and, it, and when you're, and, and yeah, because it's just all like new. Yeah. I'm trying no, to get the basics. So if I go to a, if I'm, you know, go to a gun range for a couple hours, how many times do I expect to shoot? Like how many rounds do I think I'll go through? Depends. Like if you're really trigger happy, you'll go through like 500 rounds. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I can see how that gets expensive. So you could easily pull up and just spend two, 300 bucks on ammo. Yeah. And then the gun is expensive itself, depending on what you get. Right. So how much do you think it'd be to rent? Because obviously if you buy the gun, it's a one-time expense. So it's a little different. I'm not too sure. I don't know how much it is to rent. I've right. always taken my own. Sorry, I've never right. rented one from them. Interesting. That yeah. is so fascinating to me. As someone who's like very like personally anti-gun, that's just like fascinating like, yeah. to me. So, interesting. Any yeah. other hobbies I should know about? We, I'm going to get into golf soon. My friends ski too. I don't ski. I should ski because every time I go to Mammoth, I'm just like, either we go and shoot guns while they're skiing or like we'll just chill back. Dude, I've been wanting... Golf's one of those things you feel like as a man you're supposed to just do. It's a very businessy thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like a very businessy thing. I feel like it's like, you know, I feel like it'd be good for my career if I learned how to play golf. Yeah. Personally, it's like... A, <laughs> I can yeah. really care less. It's like Happy Gilmore. You're like hitting it into the right. pond. I don't know. It just feels like one of those things that like... It probably would be fun if I got into it, but it's just... I don't know. It's a very expensive hobby too. I think all the hobbies, all the sports stuff is really expensive. Right. Anything, like guns, skiing, if you like 
swim it can get expensive the wetsuits surf will get expensive anything will yeah, get expensive. I know surfing expensive my friend Mars, he goes surfing a lot mm-hmm. and yeah dude he's just you have to surfing is a commitment because you have to wake up at the crack of dawn yeah go to the dude, it's like cold as hell like, when you get into the you water you gotta get the expensive wetsuit <laughs> yeah. you gotta get the whole parking set up dude it's, it's a mess ah let's get into the marketing nitty gritty sure dude so talk to me about the adventure so far as a manager you know, as a man, someone who's been a manager for years, you know, and now is currently not a manager. I'm fascinated to talk to me about the game, man. Like, what got you really into managing from marketing? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, let's just talk about the landscape right now. Yeah, yeah. So the mark, the way I got into management, I was just, I literally had the idea one day. We, I was sharing an office with like my other friends that I told you, like taught me a lot of the advertising, the Facebook ads. Yeah. We had an office on Noble and Ventura. So that's mm-hmm. right in Sherman Oaks. So every year I would see people with like, I would see Shalizi drive by all the time. Yeah. And I, I've- For idol. Dude, dude, he was sick, man. <laughs> and funny, I mean, smart ass guy. But um, my boy pulled him up and he was like, yeah, that's Marshmallow's manager. And I was like, what the hell is management? Like, so you what didn't goes know who in- he was at the time. You just saw him driving by. Yeah, I saw, cause he would drive by the same time every single day. So I'm like, dude, who is this guy? Cause we were there all the time. That's so funny because I always thought you always knew who he was. No, no. And then you looked at him. So you saw basically him living a certain life. Yeah. And like, who is this guy? And what's he doing to get here? And then when you looked him up, you're like, oh, boom. Yeah, because you know, you can, you know, like I'm sure in here you can see people, you'll see the same people driving by all the time. It oh, happens, right? right? Yeah. So because I was there with in that office like Monday through Sunday with those guys because I wanted to learn from them so much. Mm-hmm. So we would literally see him all the time. That's why it was like a programmable thing. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't even that because they had like Lambos or any stuff. I was just like, who is this person? Right. Why is he always here? And then we looked him up and that's how that's who he was. And I was like, oh, shit. Interesting. What is management? So what point in your life is this, by the way? Like, is this a couple of years into marketing? Is this still like in high school? Like, yeah. So that was like that happened in 2018. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, okay, yeah, nothing crazy. All right, so you see him, you learn like what is management. We like, and, yeah, he pulled him up like on a computer. He was like, I was like, who is this guy? And he, we found out it was Shalizi. Does it click instantly, and you're like, I want to do that? No, I was just like more like, let's just try it. Right. I don't even know what ma- bit like the real duties of a manager was. It right. just said like Marshmallow's manager. Like, what what is that? So how do you get into it, right? Because the only way I know how to get into it is because. I was, you know, I went the traditional route. I was an intern in an agency, mm-hmm. you know, worked at a couple of different places, met people, started working. You have really never even heard of this concept. Yeah. It sounds it like, like, right? No, I, oh, I, I want to be a manager. What do you do next? So the, to like for more context, just like if someone's listening, right? The reason why I was kind of not 100% foreign was because I really liked YouTubers, like even when I was in high school. So I knew how to spot like a really good YouTuber. Mm -hmm. I had watched KC from the beginning of his existence to the end, right? On YouTube, the entire cycle. Mm -hmm. And like, who's the guy with the dreadlocks, the one that started the vlogs? Uh, Louis, was yeah. it Louis? Yeah. He was the one that started vlogs originally, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was definitely like one of the first for sure. I had watched him and then Jesse Wellen. Yeah, okay, right? so you're an OG. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, like Clearly. I had seen all those guys, including FouseyTube as well when he used to live here, right? Shout out to Fousey, yeah. yeah, he was sick. Crazy guy. Okay, so, so it sounds to me like you see this idea of management and mm-hmm. you instantly think, well, I love YouTubers and exactly. this concept, can I bring the two together? Exactly, because right. it's the thing I'm the, I'm the best at spotting, like, if I if you really like YouTubers, you'll be able to spot a brand new YouTuber. Hundred percent, genuinely. No. Yeah, you know who's gonna work. Exactly. Right? If you've been in the game long enough of just being a consumer, watching YouTube, 
any kind of online content, you can see someone small and be like, that's going to work. Exactly. So, so you have that mentality. How do you actually start though? Like, how do you get any clients? There was this Armenian guy that popped up on my homepage because I used to watch like a lot of TJ Hunt and Tanner Fox and stuff like that. So that's it would hit me with like car people all the time. Yeah. DDE, everything. Everything. He popped up and I was, he, I was, he was small. He had like 90K, 90K followers mm -hmm. at that time. So I was like, let me just try to email this guy. Cause it's like the marketing thing. I was like, let Can't me just hurt. try to deliver value whatever I can from a consumer standpoint, because I could just by surface level without even not knowing anything about management, I could tell that some of the things on the channel weren't do, being done right. right. So I was like, let me see if I can just give him value. That's so fascinating because like you don't, you're not a manager yet, so you don't have a pitch. Mm -mm. It's more like I see someone and I see, hey, I see a potential opportunity. Have you ever thought about changing this or that? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, coming from where I see traditionally, we'd be like, hey, we can optimize your channel, we can do this, but you kind of intuitively saw like, hey, you're doing things at this level, I think I can help you get to this level. And then he responds, is he respond, you know, is he receptive? Do you just get on a call? What happens next, you know? I emailed him every day for like four months. He didn't respond to oh, me, but he was wow. opening the emails because I have like a software that tells me. Yeah, the MailChimp thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Dude, that's the marketing brain mm -hmm. too. You just keep hitting them, yeah, keep targeting. Bro. So he was opening them, he didn't respond, and I just send one every single day. At the end of my day, I would write the email and I would schedule it for the next day. Right. Every day, it was like a routine. And then he eventually ended up responding to me. Were I you doing him. this with multiple people or you just knew he was the guy? Just him. Wow. Because I wanted to test it first. Like I wanted to get a bite, see if it worked, but because why would I scale it if I don't know what I'm doing? You know right. what I mean? Even, th even that, that's marketing 101, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Find something that works. I'll take a, you know, I'll invest a little bit at first, right? The first couple of products mm -hmm. might lose money, but once I get it right, boom, we're going to scale exactly. the money in the margin. And to take that perspective to management is fascinating to me, you know, because someone, management has been a lot of very ethereal stuff. You know, it's very like, he's got it. He doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. She's got it. She doesn't have it. So to take it and think almost like an investment to say, mm -hmm. like, I think this person will work, but I'm willing to lose some money in time, you know, months and months of emails. Eventually, I'll soften them up, get a shot. We'll make this work. And then I can take that system and like move it forward. That's exactly. a fascinating way of thinking about it. Yeah. So you hit the nail on the head. That was basically like the entire thought process. So, right. right. So eventually he responds. Mm -hmm. I get a meeting with him in Glendale. Yeah. I meet him, I tell him like, yo, this is what I think we can do better, this, 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 and this. And he's like, okay. Um, we started working on a lot of videos. I was actually helping him. That's where I like started working on production as well. I didn't know that managers aren't supposed to do that. You're supposed to hire a produ producer. Right, so I was you like, don't know what you're supposed to do and what you're yeah. not supposed so to do. I was so like, he says, I need help on X, Y, or Z. You just say yes. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I can help you because I have a pretty strong marketing brain. Right. I know how I can make things go viral on YouTube somewhat like it needs to be really attention grabbing, mm -hmm. right? Thumbnail is super important. Because you know things you would watch. Exactly. Just by watching Casey, you could tell. Right. Right. Just if you were like super analytical for micro bits, mm -hmm. you could tell. You don't need to. This is what I learned later on, like present day. It's, you don't need to be told of what KPIs will make something work. Just think like logically what would make it work. And you're given the analytics on YouTube. People, right. Most people just literally don't read it. Like, well, and that's that's the genius of all of the online content space. Mm -hmm. Like the reason it's so quote unquote easy, if you know what you're doing, is if you were to try to start, I don't know, um, a chair company mm -hmm. where you make and produce your own chairs, you're gonna have such a limited amount of information on mm -hmm. what's happening. But if you're making videos, you get a full description of every single video, 
how it performs, mm-hmm. who watched it, how many people liked it. You even get direct feedback. From the comments. In the form of comments. Exactly. Like this is the kind of stuff that business people 20, 30 years ago would, would kill for because it takes so much of you know, the data and the research out of it and kind of takes you directly to, to getting that information. And you were basically able to tell him like, hey, I've done marketing, I've done sales. Like you basically already have a good product. We can sell it way better if we do X, Y. Yeah, just put gasoline on it a little bit. Exactly. So that was what that was the experience with the first one. How'd it go? I mean, was he successful? Were you making money? Or was this the trial? And then This was the trial. I wasn't making any money at this point. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So so what's next, right? So because I know you've made a big pivot into TikTok. Mm-hmm. What was the decision there? So after Eric, after I helped Eric with that one video, right. I met my, well, who's my partner now, his name is Jashawn. Yeah. Um, oh, I Jashawn, still met, by the way. Like, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to schedule all that. <laughs> I'll schedule I'll, I'll write it in my phone after. But um, I met my partner, Jashawn. He managed, he, was, he managed like indie artists in LA before. Music artists. Music artists. Yeah. So I met him through my cousin. Mm-hmm. He's my cousin's best friend. When I went to their apartment, he had seen some of the stuff I had done with my first talent. And like, he had really liked it. So he was like, bro, we should get into TikTok. So, and then I, then me and him formed a partnership and then we got into TikTok. Interesting. Yeah. So he, was he actively managing at the time or? I don't remember how many clients he had at the time. Right. But he was more like, Hey, I've experienced doing this. Exactly. And obviously you're good at this, like kind of bring them together. He had way more experience than on the manager side than I did. Right. So, yeah. So from my understanding, the business for you has always been, obviously like you have the management experience, but what really is making it work is you take that marketing brain mm-hmm. and then he is more of like the traditional management side and you kind of fuse the two to create businesses. One thing that I mm-hmm. find really interesting is I, I think we need to shift the way we look at creators. Mm-hmm. Right now we look at creators almost as celebrities and some of them are, some of them are trending towards that. Like but, Logan, Jake, stuff like this. Right. And I think those are the obvious ones, right? Logan, Jake, Addison, D'Amelio's, those people. Right. You know, even an Eric type, I think they have like this high value potential. But I do think we need to start more looking at the business as more of a collection of small businesses. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to make them as profitable as possible. I think someone like you is really uniquely poised in the space because you're really good at making people more money, which is fundamentally what the space needs. I think in the next couple of years, you'll see a shift, Mm -hmm. right? I think right now you just have a manager and an agent. And I think there's going to be a shift between like your manager's job is to basically run your brand, mm-hmm. right? Like the brand of, you know, David, for mm-hmm. example, like your goal is to like make sure your PR is good, make sure, you know, that you're seen in the right lights and that your scheduling's good and that your life is together. Mm-hmm. You know, you're almost the operation, almost the COO of the company, but then you basically have the secondary brand like almost like financial manager, that's goal is strictly monetary, right? How much money can we bring in? Because there's a million ways to make money now online. Mm-hmm. If you can get attention, you can capitalize on it one way or another. And I think, of course. I think there's going to be more of a shift to kind of defining those roles differently because it's still the wild, wild west out there, man. I think there's still a lot of room. Oh, yeah. A lot. Even on YouTube. It's just people are, I, I don't know, like, I haven't seen someone that's genuinely creative. I think it's skewed it because, like, I used to really like Casey. I still like Casey. Casey. It's crazy. From like, if you look at it from a production standpoint of him making a vlog every day, it's so smart the way he produced it. Yeah. Where it have a time lapse in the beginning, and it had. And it was revolutionary for the time too. It's that's insane, the thing. dude. Like, I mean, you go and watch 
some of his videos from six years ago, and they're better than 80% of stuff that comes out today. Exactly. Right. It's disgustingly good, like, because it clicks whenever you've done production before. Because mm-hmm. if you see how hard production is, right, like something like Eric's, right. where it's, it's genuinely tasking, mm-hmm. like, to pull everything together in a very short amount of time, if that's the case, or just like really big high level ideas and then produce that every, every day or every week, I Mm -hmm. should say. How hard is it to be Casey Neistat and write an actual story every day, produce it, edit it, film it every single 24 hours? Right, and when, because you look at it for him or even like a Jake back when he was vlogging every day, people kind of see it as, oh, this person's just recording their life, but you really hit the nail on the head. This person is created a character. Mm -hmm. The character just happens to be named them. And they write a story for this character every single day. They write 365 scripts a year. That is incredibly difficult. And then they also are in charge of producing it. Exactly. And releasing it. And budgeting and on top of it. And marketing it. And budgeting yeah. it. And then they have to find time to live a life as well. I mean, it's grueling. And I think there's a reason that that sort of daily vlog mentality has fallen out of favor. But it's still that same like desire to grind that hard that I think works. And I think you touched on something interesting. You said you, don't, you haven't seen a lot of general creativity. I'm not sure if I agree. I don't want to challenge you on that. But yeah, sure. the reason why is I think there's been a big proliferation on YouTube in the last three years that I've seen where it's almost like the economy. It feels very the rich get richer. Mm-hmm. But what's really concerning to me is the copycats are getting richer as well. Uh, you know, someone releases, Mr. Beast releases a video, something like, you know, world's hottest room you know, versus world's coldest room. And that video is going to get 50, 100 million views, right? Great. The problem now is 10 other guys will make a video that's like world's second hottest room versus world's yeah. second I saw this, room. what you're talking about, I saw was the, remember the one, I don't know who made this. There was a bunch of people that made this one. The buttons in a box, which one gets you like, right. there's a hundred buttons in a box or something. I honestly don't remember which YouTuber made that. But yeah, that happened to that as well. It just gets knocked off, right? And the thumbnail is even like a variation of the original. Exactly. It's, yeah, almost, yeah. Like, it's, it's almost like stealing. Mm-hmm. It's like how close can, closely can I recreate this content where it's like different or it's new? You know what's the most disgusting one I've seen? Hmm. You know the channel Jubilee? Yes. Yeah, they have Jubilee is like super well known because they have some of the simplest concepts with like human nature. That is I've that the one where they ha- they um, bring in like three people of uh, on polar opposite sides? Exactly. That's the one. They'll be yeah. like uh, conservative versus Democrats, right. middle ground, or uh, something really simple like you know date. There was people who started the whole like uh, speed dating a hundred guys and like one girl and the guy will like Tinder swipe it. Yes. Yeah. It's in like a white room. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. All the white room stuff. I've seen channels just blatantly steal the content yeah. like literally the video will be like speed dating 100 guys mm. and it'll just be a different girl a different set of 100 guys in a different white room no like and, and it'll still do okay and that's the concerning part because the algorithm's been feeding into these ideas that are already played and i feel like it kind of removes the opportunity for the real creatives to to get in there so I, I guess I kind of agree with you that it's been harder to find creativity, but I just think it's not being rewarded in the same way, which I think is kind of concerning. I think that's a valid point. I guess what I meant was like, you can, if you're truly creative, you can make really good videos. You don't even need a budget like Dobrik has or anything or any of these people. No, 100%. If you're actually really creative, you can literally do it for free. Right. Right? Like there was like this, I, I, was, telling, I was telling my partner, 
there's this concept that I had for a podcast or I always look at things like how can we make the more the content or the creator more intimate with their audience? How can we bake okay. it in? Yeah, right? details, details. So you can do that by different touch points. It's just okay. same, similar as marketing, right? You, right? you go on Fashion Nova, you check out, they email you, that's one touch point, they send you an SMS, that's another touch point. Interesting. It's like tentacles, right? And you wanna take that concept to creators. Yeah, how can so. you bake that into visual content? Yeah, right? I wanna know. Or you, even it'll, it can apply to music too, even if there is no visual content. I think the best way to do that is find, so you, we've both seen this in uh, YouTube videos. Uh, the obvious answer to that question is the YouTuber will take their audience and put some of them in their videos, right? right. Nelk shows up to their house, you're the subscriber, you're in the video, I'm gonna give you free merch, That's really interesting. you participate. Yeah. Eric does it as well. Mm -hmm. He brings people in to help with the challenge, one touch point. How can you take it further? What I've, I've never seen somebody do is what if you get like, do you remember, have you heard A Good Kid, Mad City? Oh, of course, yeah. You know the cassette players at the end? Yes. They did it to you already. That was literally one of the tentacles. How so? That was Kendrick's mom calling him. Oh, wow. So you're hearing That's into a so conversation. I never even thought about it. It almost puts you in the experience. So you take that oh. concept and flip it into, into videos. You can do the same thing. If on the end logs, you know how David on the ending, the outro, he has like the, the bursts of images where it yeah. says like, get this, get this, get my merch, whatever. Yeah, and it's like, like a three seconds basically. Yeah. You could also flip that. And if you wanted to copy Kendrick Lamar, you could call one of your subscribers. You can do that nowadays with community or whatever. Oh, that's there's a solution cool. for it. And you put that audio recording at the end. That's fascinating. And, it, and then, so but give me the incentive structure, right? So I see that. And then now I, as a fan say, I want to be that yeah. person, so I'm going to engage and call them. Exactly, and it allows you to collect the SMS, and it allows them to, part to participate in the video. That's that is so genius. Say, like, ah, man, this is that is so cool because right now there's a huge focus on community mm -hmm. online, right? It's like, and and community really is small business, creating a brand that people feel attached to. But that's so fascinating as a way to actually get them personally involved with the content mm -hmm. in a way that's probably a lot cheaper and a lot easier than putting them in the video specifically, mm -hmm. taking it to an audio level. That's, that's good. That's but, good but that's what I mean, like creativity like that, like it's literally right. all around you. A lot of the creativity that I have, I pull from my favorite musicians. Like the, literally like that one, Kendrick is my favorite person ever. Yeah, I know you love Kendrick. Dude. Yeah, so I pull a lot of the ideas that I have always from his format. It doesn't even need to be the actual lyrics, it can be the format. Like the Good Kid, Matt City stuff was crazy. Right. What he did there, or even on like uh, Chimpa Butterfly when he has like the, the poems at the, the poems end. at the end, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's almost like creating an inside joke, mm -hmm. right? It's like how can you make something that's entertaining in general, but if you get it and you know it, it almost creates a culture, right? Like if you were to go walk around LA and talk, you know, start saying like, I remember you was conflicted. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know that that means you're a Kendrick Lamar fan. Yeah. And there are people who will hear that and understand. It's like, oh, you're part of the club, mm -hmm. right? How do we bring that online as much as possible? And I think what they're attempting to do, and something we've never spoken about, and I really want your opinion, with this is all this NFT stuff. I think the goal truly is to signify that you're a member of the club by having one, but... I think the market is all over the place. I've never, I've never had your Web three thoughts, man. What do you think? I honestly don't know. I'm still really new at that. I haven't. I, I only have one NFT. It's the Nelk Boys one. You bought the Nelk Boys one? Yeah. On the market or secondary? I bought it. I think it counts as secondary, right? I bought it on the same day it dropped, but I didn't mint it. I bought it from someone that yeah, minted yeah, it. Yeah. So it's secondary. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah smart. You, you buying things for mint? Why? So I know you're a Nelk fan. Mm. What is the for you, right? Because this is really fascinating. Yeah. 
only certain people get them. It costs what? Like, you probably paid like what? 0.7 ETH, something like that? No, I, pay, I paid a little bit more. I paid 1.2. Right, yeah. Yeah. Secondary market. Um, okay, so if you're going to sell probably what? Three grand, something, something like that? Something like that. Right. You as a fan, right? I mean, have you bought their merch before? Have you bought Full Sun stuff? Never. No, right? You haven't. You've been a fan for them for how many years do you think? I literally, I don't remember when they came out. I used to watch Kyle, Jesse, and Lucas when they were in that, they were in like a high-rise apartment in Toronto. Right, so the point is you've been a fan of them for oh, a long a very time. long time, before they did the coke prank in Venice. Exactly. Way, so a long, ago. long time ago. You've been following their content for years. You've never engaged in their merch or anything. Hmm. What about the NFT to you says this is something that's worth investing in? And we're not talking, you know, 60 bucks in a hoodie. We're talking this is a $3,000 worth investment to you. Okay, that's a really good question. I think there's like two answers the way I see it for Talk that question. Time. Objectively, without if you don't like them, just logically as a business person, they have a lot of media power that they can flood that with. A yes. lot. Okay. Like they have like a machine gun of media that they can pour onto that if they wanted to. Other projects, for the most part, have to build it up themselves. Again, I don't know a lot about this space. Because so you're like, only one, right? That's literally and, the only and, one that I And I have. understand that. And that's what I'm kind of getting to, right? So, but what is it? So what I'm really asking is, why did you buy this that NFT one? as opposed to, you know, a safe moon or something that mm -hmm. is like a direct investment? What is the value of it to you personally? I wanted to connect with their team and I also wanted to see how they're going to handle this. Right. It's just a guinea pig. I wanted to test it. Right. So you made a commitment to sell somebody an NFT. So you have an ongoing commitment because mm -hmm. they're going to hold it. So how do, what do you do? And while being spread thin, while filming videos, you have three different channels or two. If you count the podcast and the main, mm -hmm. you also have your merch. It's a full brand. You also travel a lot. You also like have run a team. So how are you going to juggle this? I'm really curious. Right. And I, I think they're doing uh, like pretty well right now. Right. I think they're honestly off to a better start than many people would give them credit for because 98% of NFTs are disasters. Absolutely. And I think the biggest issue is because the way they're pitched. I think pitching NFTs as a financial gain or even an investment is a massive mistake. It's really schemy. It's not only schemy, it's it's foolish because maybe your NFT will be a good investment and it will make more money down the road if it's tied to the utility. Sell the utility, not the investment. You see what I'm saying? Like the whole idea is if you buy an NFT and your only goal is to resell it, you shouldn't have bought it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like buying it's like buying a car, right? And your only goal is to resell the car in 20 years. Dude, just invest in the stock market at that point. You could. Yeah, like I think so. You're missing the utility, the whole reason to get the thing. And I think what they've done better than a lot of people is they seem to actually be focusing and caring. But I do think what's really messing up the market is how many people are saying, hey, this is a big NFT, we're gonna buy it, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z, and then they do absolutely none of it. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, the market will come down, not really, not necessarily Nelk will come down, is that what you, that's just, Exactly. Yeah, the market as a whole will just come down a little bit. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and I don't think it's personal. I could see, I could see that happening. Yeah. That I think sense. it's really interesting, but I would say this, I think the concept of NFTs will work once they're more standardized to the idea of easily explaining exactly what you get yeah that's the thing i don't like it when people explain nfts in a broad way like right. you'll get cool things what is cool right things? we have all these opportunities yeah we're what's opportunities the world we're yeah. going to the moon no this be shit, very specific about how you're talking i need to know exactly what i'm getting right i need a menu 
it's it's almost like a Patreon subscription, right? If I buy this NFT, I want to know that I get this one specific thing mm -hmm. that no one else gets, and I need you to follow through, right? And then I feel like here's a, the perfect example of how I would explain the good version of NFTs and what I hope they will become. You know, Soul House, right? Yes. What are your thoughts on Soul House? Yeah, it's it, like I've never been there, but yeah, I know what it is because we live in LA. And if you've lived exactly. in a major city, you know what a Soul House is. It's like an exclusive club yes. that you go to, and there's a bunch of people there that are like high net worth or celebrities, and you can basically use it for networking or just having fun, right? Ding, Exclusively. Ding, ding. There are three words you said really important. You said exclusive, mm -hmm. you said club. Yeah. And networking right in a perfect world that's what nft should be right you should be as a nelk boys nft holder you should be able to find other nelk boys nft holders they should feel exclusive they should feel like a club mm -hmm. and then you should actually be getting you know enough utility to justify it and build your network i think it should be basically like Soho House, right? Why do you think people pay fifteen hundred dollars? You know, if you want the full membership, like two thousand dollars a year to be in Soho House, because they want to be around of the course. people who are in. They want to try to like network and rub shoulders with people. Exactly. So if your NFT is five fucking bucks, it's a disaster. It's mm -hmm. a it's a fucking scam. Like no club worth joining costs five bucks. Exactly. <laughs> so I understand why some of them are expensive, but you gotta deliver value, man. You don't hear. Have you ever heard anyone complain about their Soho House membership? I, yeah, I don't even no, not really. I've been a couple of times, but I do not own a membership. Though I'm considering buying <laughs> because every time I've gone there, I've seen somebody famous mm -hmm. or somebody high net worth. And is that do anything for me in that moment? No, but there are ideas I have that you know if I wanted to market or network them, or I'm, even I'm looking for more creators if I'm still in the management game, right? It's like, like going to the gym, right? You're constantly in their face. Exactly. Because you wouldn't, even if you saw them in Los Angeles walking around or at a restaurant, you're not going to go up to them and try to connect. That's exactly. not happening, right? No, like, 100%. So like, right? that's like, like I, a very intimate place where you can and their guard will be slightly lower. Because yeah. you're also in there, so they lick at you with some type of level of respect. Well, right? your guard is way lower. Right. I mean, literally, last time I was there, I was with... Um, um, some of the people at the company I used to work at. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the guys I work with is really good friends with Jamie Lynn Spears for some reason. Interesting. Okay. And, and she's there while we're there. And we're on the opposite sides, you know, of the restaurant portion. And we're doing our business thing. Jamie Lynn comes up and they talk and she introduces them to like two of her friends. That's and I'm funny. like, this, that was worth his whole yearly membership. Yeah. Right? Like that, that, because he basically got this extra client from it as well. Getting that extra client is going to pay hundreds of thousand dollars in turn. Yeah, then the two thousand dollars you're spending, like who cares? Yeah, right. And, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. Right. And once we can kind of shift the online narrative there, yeah. So you know, if you're ever trying to go in on a, I'm down a Soul House membership, we might oh. need to talk about that. Anyway. Let's do. I'm down. <laughs> but yeah, the NFT stuff is interesting because there's no tangible location or anything. Right. It's just really easy to like rug pull. It's right. very easy. It's dude and. And I know people hate to say it, but art is not, digital art is not worth money. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. Like, I am a huge fan of art. You like know. actual art? Like yeah, like this Jay-Z is hand-painted, designed by Mariella Angualer, hand-signed. Love it. Like, I will spend thousands and thousands of dollars of art. Like, is this Man on the Moon and, and Kanye's album combined? All together. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> My friend Paige got me that one. Shout out to Paige. That's sick. Yeah, I, I love art. I like. I'm gonna get a whole set from here. I have a. There's a freaking Picasso I want down in Beverly Hills. Um, it's like, 
amount of money, but <laughs> <laughs> but I love it and I really want it. And I've been saving up for that. I love art. I've been a massive art fan my whole life. Art as a digital concept makes no sense. Because anything digital is hosted natively on a server. Right? Right. So that was actually, it's funny you said that. That was the question that I had um, with like when before buying an NFT. I went through like a bunch of Reddit stuff, Twitter, everything before yep. buying the Nelk one because I wanted to just learn generally what it is. Of course. That was the one thing I found. This doesn't really pertain to Nelk or it, it could. I wasn't really pertaining it to Nelk. But yeah. where is the actual image hosted? It's still hosted on the server in about 90%. Theoretically, there are two points that I want to make that are the reason why NFT digital arts make no sense to me. So first hosting, you decided 99% of these NFT pictures mm -hmm. are still hosted on the same server that they were made on. So if you as a digital artist made something on your MacBook or whatever, mm -hmm. and then you, you minted it, uploaded it, whatever, when you buy the NFT, you're not actually taking it from your hard drive. You're essentially buying a spot on the blockchain that says you own the link that gets you to the image. I see. Okay. Right. So that person can just turn off the server anytime they want. Or yeah, they can... there's no originality. If, if Picasso paints a painting, mm -hmm. that is the only painting. Yeah, it's a physical painting, it right? Is, yeah, and technically you can do like prints and stuff, but it's acknowledged how many prints there are and they're different. The painting is the painting. Yeah, the, the prince is basically like IP. You're right. just selling the proper intellectual property. If I want to buy it, I have to go to Italy mm -hmm. and buy it from him. He has to hand it over and I have to ship it back. When you're buying things online, even – I don't think people understand. Even you as the person who made it probably doesn't own the original because the original is only on paint or InDesign or wherever you made it. As soon as you even copy it to like a different folder – that's technically not even the original. Yeah, if you want to go really <laughs> deep. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it depends on how deep you want to get with it. But when you paint a painting, you've painted the only version of the painting. That makes sense. There's no... So fundamentally, if you have a screenshot or a high-res remake of a digital image, it's fundamentally no different. And this leads to the second point, unless you own the copyright. But Right, so it's like... I get what you mean. So unless you like have like one piece of the IP. Exactly. Right? But... Almost all of these digital arts, they don't even sell you the IP. Right. So I guess <laughs> I guess the the only counterpoint, it's not really I agree with you. It's like what how people pitch it is like it's not about the like image, it's like what it gets you. Right? So right. that's where you get into like the pitching broadly. Exactly. Now this causes this big problem. Exactly. Uh, so like, and that and that it creates this circular reasoning, right? Exactly. Because they'll try to use this argument, it's like, oh well, you can't screenshot it because if you have a picture of a Mondrian, it's not a Mondrian. Yeah. But the difference is if you own a Mondrian, you own a Mondrian. Right. If you own a NFT of a photo, the original's still not there. Mm -hmm. It's no different. Even owning the NFT is owning a copy right. of the photo. So yeah, I think art is not where it's going to go. And I think we're going to have to get rid of all that eventually. The only exception is, I think, you know the stuff they're doing with Bored Apes, right? No, I've never... I, I, don't I know, know you've seen the guys with the monkey profile pictures. Yeah, yeah, I know Bored Apes, but I don't know what they're doing with them. Right, right. So what they're doing... Theoretically, right? I don't own one because I don't buy that they're doing it. But their theory is that when you buy a board ape, you also buy the rights to the IP of that specific one. Okay. So theoretically, imagine a great example is Pokemon. Mm -hmm. How much money would you pay to own the IP for Bulbasaur? A lot. Yeah, a, a lot of money. Fuck ton. Yeah. Right? 
Theoretically, if this brand of Board 8 becomes something, having your silly monkey and owning the IP to that monkey mm -hmm. when they turn into a video game or a set of cards or something that have real value and you get residuals because you own the IP for right. that specific one, then it would make sense. Mm -hmm. But if you don't own the IP, what are you buying? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, I get what you mean. Yeah, you're, you're right. I think it has to do with like the artist too, right? right? Exactly. The personality of the artist because that's what gives these paintings like value, Exactly. Right? A Picasso is worth a Picasso because it was painted because, by Picasso. Because it was painted by yeah, Picasso. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So like <laughs> if you just have a random group of people making NFTs, then you, that point, you can't even value it with that point. Right. Because just, I, I don't know anything about these people. Exactly. Right? It, it's like, yeah, you have to have a brand that's worth it, which is why I think something like a Nuk one actually isn't a bad investment. Mm -hmm. Because Nuk has been proven to have fans, to have a brand that people already react and respond to and like. Mm -hmm. So if they could... If you're buying into it, you have a reason to believe that they're going to follow through. Of course. And that you can gain value that way. And for you, you have more of a personal opinion of like you want to actually meet them and go to their meetups and stuff so of that course. you can network. So yeah. I get that. So I think if you're going to buy one, I think you made a good choice. Thank you, bro. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how I'm, I'm just super curious what they do to it because I've never seen a YouTuber do this because YouTubers already have a lot of things to juggle like we covered before. So I really want to see how they're going to allocate bandwidth for this because right. this is an ongoing commitment. It's not like selling merch where you one and done. Well, that's the scary thing. You buy right? it from me, I fulfill it, and that's it. My commitment's done to you as soon as you get it to your house. This I, is like multiple things. Yeah, and I think, you're, I think you're touching on the other thing that's really scary, right? There's really nothing stopping them from saying, we got too busy, we couldn't add. But, but for thousands of dollars, that's not something that's going to work, right. right? If you're going to join the Nelk NFT, for example, or any of these like brand NFTs that are becoming a thing, if you're going to join this exclusive club, this club has got to produce for years. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're almost kind of making a huge decision. You almost need to hire a team to just run your NFT stuff. Right. Because if you're a creator, you've got so much other content you're making, brand deals. It's chaos. Scheduling. It's chaos. You don't have time to also run a full club because that's what you're really doing. It's a full-time job. Yeah. yeah. And it's one that has to outlast you, right? Like you paid for this NFT in perpetuity. You know, it's like I didn't pay, you know, $3,000 to go to Soho House and then you're just going to close it. Mm -hmm. I expect to go as long as that membership is going of on, course. you know. So I agree. That's something I've never even thought about. Like, yeah, they I, I don't think people realize how big of a commitment they're really signing up for, too. Mm -hmm. You know, because they just see like Logan Paul makes $10 million on his mint. Great. I can do that. It's like, no, dude, that's a $10 million investment into basically a new business you need to now create. Yeah, I think it just plays into like you'll people should get it whenever they like actually execute general ideas. Yeah. If you just execute a lot in business and you fit, you have done that multiple times, you start to see things a little differently. Like ideas start to weigh differently because idea ideas come to people every day. Right. You have a thousand of them every day. But if you don't execute it or you don't really know how hard the idea is until you've tried to execute it. Yeah. Clothing brand sounds pretty easy. Go screen print this, do that. It's so hard. It's like, it's not that easy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can go to a print shop, but like, are you going to cut and sew? Are you going to do this? Mm -hmm. Talk to this guy. Talk to the, the other the Where designer. Where are products from? Who's designing? Mm -hmm. What's your supply output? Supply chain, everything. So like, look how many things we just unpacked with one simple idea. Right. right? So when you're coming up with an idea, like at least for me with talent, when you, you can have ideas, but if you have an idea like an NFT, just realize how much commitment it's actually going to take to actually make that idea successful. Right. It's not like making a video. It's no. entirely different. Exactly. Right. And, and I think what's really fascinating is 
you got to really dig deep to understand how to like revolutionize an industry. You know, people talk about like, oh, I want to do this different. It's like, it's hard to do anything different. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and this is something I suggest you try, especially as a marketer. I think you'll love this. Me and my friend Ian, sometimes we do this thing where we, we pick a random industry and we think, how would we change it? That's actually right? pretty cool. We do That's this, dope. Uh, and, but the thing is, the more basic, the harder it is, but the more it's worth it. One of the best ones we ever did was about washing machines. Okay. We say, hey, we want to break into the washing machine industry. Let's say you get a you get a hundred million bucks. You mm -hmm. want to you want to revolutionize the washing machine. Mm -hmm. What do you do? And you have to sit there and think like, well, what's wrong with washing machines? Well, they cost too much water. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, we can make them water. Okay, what's even bigger than that is a lot of people don't have them. Why? They don't have the setup. Okay, how do we make a washing machine that doesn't have to have that little plumbing thing at the end? How do we make it take less money? Change right? the shape of it so it's more like it fits in a closet easier. Exactly. You have to have a certain amount of space. A million different yeah. answers come right. Maybe, maybe maybe it plugs into the wall instead mm -hmm. of drawing direct from that. Maybe it uses a new like Tesla style battery so you can make it mobile. Like it, it's a very fun exercise because it allows you to really like recontextualize how you look at everything in life. You know, it's like. And you can do it with anything, and it's less about finding an answer, right? Because you're not, I mean, I don't want to go to It's like science. Like you're just testing. You're just you have hypothesis, test it if it works. And keep it gets going. you in this creative brain space that allows you to say, like, man, if I can do that with washing machines, I could definitely do that with yeah. like digital marketing. With water. And, and shit. Look exactly. at liquid death. Right. Liquid death is water. What are they doing? It's literally water in a can. They sell it like it looks like a 40 ounce of beer. Wow. It's water. Oh, that's genius. They're smart. They, yeah, they, I've never heard of this. You've never heard of Liquid Death? No. Dude, they're so smart. They're brand, it's literally just a branding play. It's, they're selling you water. But it looks like you're drinking beer. Yeah, it, it comes in a can like a tall boy. Yeah. And then it's like you have the sparkling version and then like the non-sparkling, still water. And then they ha their branding is just really good. Like right. they've gone super deep with the names, the imagery. It's called uh, Kill Your Th Their slogan is Kill Your Thirst, ah. Liquid Death. <laughs> That's sick. Their names are like Bury Me Alive. Yeah. So it's like super programmable into people's heads. Dude, that's so cool. You know, tell me... Um, you were telling me a little bit off stream, but I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about it. And mm. you were talking something about making sort of a community or something, like in like the management entertainment space. The community? What do you mean? We were talking about right out there. I said, Oh, you gotta hold this one for the show because I know it's gonna be Oh, good. the vlog. Yeah. Talk the vlog. No, it's just an idea. I always have like these ideas when we're when we're coming up with um, video ideas for a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, like because certain people on the roster, we help them with like coming up with video ideas. Some people get helped with production. It's different for everybody, mm -hmm. but because we do that all the time, I always thought like it would be actually really interesting to make a vlog of the back end of a like a manager, almost like the behind the scenes of how like the the sausage is made. Yeah, like not really. Yes, so the general concept. Yes, not really showing the behind the scenes of a specific YouTuber okay. that you're managing. Right. More so like I'm trying to describe. I'm trying to figure out a way to best like describe it to you. Almost like like the almost like showcasing the lifestyle of a manager. Almost is that what you mean? Yeah, because like right. Like, so the the way this idea came about was how are usually really good shows. Where does the idea come from? Right. It usually comes from things from real life that have like a high intensity, right? Like real life jobs that have a high intensity. Right. Gangs have a high intensity. There's multiple stories I can tell you if I'm in a gang, right? Gotcha. Or if I'm a police officer, there's multiple interactions I have in a day. So if you're like my spouse, I can come and uh, uh, like unpack a bunch of stories for you. Mm -hmm. These would all make different episodes. Right. That's why there's cops. There's shows about gang banging. There's shows about like all these high intensity jobs. Like this clicked for me when I watched the Nelk Boys podcast with... um. Artie with mm -hmm. wires only where they get their cars. Yeah. 
when he said that he got that Discovery Plus deal for a TV show, it was really smart because he's already the, the, it's an easy way to think of a show because if I'm him mm-hmm. I'm already meeting a bunch of celebrities of course it's, I'm constantly having my team run around it's like razor thin timing we're right. constantly meeting so it's, it's, it makes for a good show interesting right so basically taking that idea to like the management game right so it's like it's almost like yeah so it's very much the behind the scenes right but it, it centralizes as you know you or the manager type as opposed to the clients that they're helping almost like almost like scooter Braun the show right so you could do it like that or you could just do it on the back end of any business you could even apply that to e-commerce oh, right interesting so right? anything like actually um chris and guzman yeah remember that fitness youtuber mm-hmm. he actually did that with his e-commerce brand alphalete a lot of the vlogs were just back-end vlogs of alphalete and give me like a, an example of what uh, an alphalete vlog would be what would happen in that vlog he would show you like getting his new warehouse so it'd be like mm. 3,000 square feet as opposed to the 1500 again it goes to that tentacle thing where it ties you into the brand yeah. and he's literally making vlogs off his business right so usually business is really boring like mm. you're not really you're either typing emails communicating you know what i mean it's a lot of this it's not wouldn't make for a good show if someone put a camera on you and you're just working right so making positioning your business like a manager where you're constantly around people or e-commerce where you're fulfilling things people are constantly making products things are breaking that would make for a good show because there's constant conflict solution lots of conflict too. exactly interesting right no that is fascinating have is something like are you do you think you're gonna do it or like i don't know it's just literally just an idea more of an idea i've written it down i don't know if we're gonna do it i don't know i feel like that's like the thing you were saying earlier you might want to like try a couple and to see if it hits and if it does just just yeah you know we'll see how the production crew around everywhere you go just follow them yeah (laughs) have them follow me that'd be so funny stories out of it i think that could be really cool oh uh you know the last thing I really want to talk to you about is you're very tapped in in the TikTok landscape, mm. right? And less about TikTok in general, but more about the future of media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you an interesting story. Two days ago, I was at Diddy Reese, the cookie place. In uh, Westwood? Yeah, in Westwood, in line. And there's this guy behind me, and he's got like four. It's like his kid and his uh, kid's three friends. And they're probably like 10, 11, 12. And it's this little like kid, and he says... Have you guys uh, heard of this meme, the gritty? And he starts doing the gritty dance. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like a little 10 year old kid. And then no one really noticed or said anything about it. But I sat there and I thought, this kid just called a dance a meme. And it made me really fully understand that, like, to kids today, everything's a meme. Yeah. Like the memification of, of life. There's really no difference. Uh, as a meme to them it's just a part of internet culture which to them is just part of culture it's just real life Uh, I was also watching Andrew Schultz and they're talking a lot about how there are really no young movie stars that's actually a good point like he said if you were to ask most people to name three movie stars under the name of like 27 age of 27 they'd probably say Zendaya and they can't name her last name because I don't even I don't even know her last name I still don't because she only goes by Zendaya but (laughs) it's Tom Tom Holland Holland. I knew you were going to say Tom Holland I knew it and then I don't know maybe they'll go like someone else who was also on Euphoria or something I can't think of anybody else yeah and that's but back 10 years ago movie star and actor was the peak level of fame and now it's become a pretty low level of fame there are also no young movie stars yeah that's that's a good point. Like if you think like if you unpack stars, it, you yeah, The Rock, you know, Kevin Brad Hart, Pitt, Kevin Hart, Leo, Leo, Angelina, Scarlett, all these people. 
they're the same people who were movie stars back when I started watching movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, there's no fresh one. Right. Tom it, Hardy, maybe, I guess you could say. Uh, mean, yeah, not really. I mean, dude, Tom Hardy He's was, been, was Bane. Yeah, you know? yeah it's <laughs> like, been a minute he's been an actor. Yeah, yeah, you know, they've been doing it forever. You know, even like a Momoa type, that guy's been acting for nine years. Yeah. Right, even if he's probably like peaking around now. It's just a totally different landscape. Movies themselves, if they're not superhero movies or Marvel movies, they don't even have the same cultural stain that you know a squid games does or star wars exactly that bro remember star wars there used to be people lined up dude you like you couldn't buy a ticket no yeah there was no way yeah i mean and and it's just a totally different landscape now so being on the forefront of tiktok which is the youngest skewing platform like personally how do you see like the future of media five years from now like how do you see us viewing like celebrity and like what's popular yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, like, for does that specifically ap- apply to TikTok, the future of media, well, or I just, just in general? Just in general, I just think TikTok's a good a good measure because that's where the youngest audience are. And right, going to be the ones who really that decide. blossom exactly. For TikTok, I really think they have to like. I haven't seen like crazy, crazy amounts of creators bloom from there. And by creator, like what I define a creator as is somebody that can emotionally move somebody. That is genuinely what an influencer is. It's not like just yeah, someone posting pictures. Is. Yeah, or just like creating UGC, right? Which is like me and you make a TikTok right now and I upload it. That's right. not a, a creator, right? Right. So that I haven't seen a lot of, and I think it's because the platform, the way they've made the platform, I'm not even entirely sure how the algorithm like exactly works, but it's like they, they knew what creators wanted before they debuted TikTok. Mm-hmm. They knew like YouTubers like a lot of views. They like a lot of engagement. Okay, so we know that. Now how do we use this as a, as a hook to get somebody on the platform? Because we need creators right. from TikTok. I need creators. So I'm gonna manipulate the, uh, the algo to reward people right off the bat when they upload videos yep. with a million views, views or 100,000 views. Yep. So they get hooked on it and they start uploading more. Right. That usually happens with once, you, once they bait you, you're good. Mm-hmm. Right, you're not gonna leave. So it's, which is, that's fine if they wanna use that as, as a clever way to get creators on, cool. But what it does is like, it now creators don't need to work hard anymore. Right. The YouTubers are kings of this because they work their ass off. We, we, you and I both know how hard Eric works. Oh yeah, like physically, how hard he works yeah. to break to break into that level. It was a lot of work. So, like, can somebody like him bloom from TikTok if there is immediate gratification? Unlikely. Right. It's unlikely. It, you don't you don't go through that grind of having two years worth of videos with you know two thousand views. I'll give you an example. This uh, amazing creator I worked with, uh, Amanda. When I found her, it was her fifth year on YouTube. Mm-hmm. She had 6,000 subscribers. She had two videos over 100K. And one had just released four or five days before. The, her next biggest video was like 20K. And after that, it was probably six or seven. I mean, she was making no money. Mm-hmm. But she had been doing it for five years. And now all of her back catalogs doing really well. Her videos do great. She's got a great career. TikTok doesn't work like that. It's yeah. like you get in, you, it's the opposite. You get that first couple of videos, boom. Doesn't matter how many followers you have, it can blow up. And now you're like, oh, well, this is easy, right? Like you're not gonna do that sustained grind of failure the way that you would on YouTube, which is why people who do do it and come from YouTube, I agree, they really kill it. So do you see 
YouTubers continuing to dominate that platform. I don't know. It sounds like you're kind of bullish on the platform as a whole. Yeah, no, I am. I think there will be people that come out of it. Obviously, just statistically, there will be, right? right? Like, um, there are going to be some top tier creators there. And I think there are currently. Um, what I see the future of content as, or for the YouTube question, I think there is going to be more YouTubers that come up. But again, it goes back to like that. If you're actually really creative right. at the production level and editing level and just video level as a whole, like the Kendrick Lamar analogy we were talking about, mm. if that, if they have a grasp on that, they'll be able to break through. Mm. And I think it holds the most on YouTube, to be honest, because right. like there's just something about YouTube where the traffic is just different on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like the views and the, the audience is just different on YouTube than it is anywhere else, on IG or TikTok. Well, and I'll tell you what it is, and this is something we talk a lot about in my current job, is it's you make the decision before you get on the platform. Mm -hmm. When you're on TikTok, you do this. Right, you're unconscious, right? You're unconscious. You have made a decision that I will give you one to maybe three minutes of my time. And then I will move on to the next thing. I'll do this for a little bit, maybe spend 30 minutes on it, and I'm out. When you're on YouTube, you're sitting down to watch, you know, a video. You, you're a passive audience. You're widescreen. You are engaged, mm -hmm. right? So when you really like something, you're sitting there. You know, people are watching this. They've been watching for an hour plus. Right. You don't watch a TikTok for an hour plus. It's a different level of consumption, which creates a different level of fandom. That's okay. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I think that's where long form is gonna still kill it. Like right. a lot of people on TikTok or just like in the space are like short form is the way and obviously all the platforms are prioritizing that. And it's the way to blow up, that's sure. for sure. But the long form is still important. Cause that's like listening to, that's the, what you're saying is literally equivalent to me listening to a single off an album and not listening to the rest of the album. Boom. I'm only that listening to the single. Perfect example. Right? Right. The real fans, they listen to the album. Mm -hmm. But everybody's heard the single. Exactly. Right. So that, that's the equivalent. So I think there is going to be room for long form. And then for the, the future of media as a whole, I think, I don't know, man. I think you're going to need to get really creative with the way you tell stories. I really do. I think that's where it is. Even in the advertising space. I agree. They don't really put that much effort into telling stories or connecting with people. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's where it's gonna go, or it's what it's gonna happen. I think is like they're gonna be like production companies for social media platforms. I a million percent right. agree with the second point. I agree with both your points actually. I think touching on the first point, I think the nail on the head is creativity. Mm -hmm. Creativity is a word that's thrown out all the time, but it's more about innovation, right? I think there's a belief that YouTube's been figured out that you sit in front of a camera and you just talk. You know, or you do challenges or you do this. What type of creator are you? I think that is a fool's errand. I think we're really still at the tip of what things could be. Mm -hmm. And it goes into the second point you made, which is about production. I think, one, there will be production companies, but more under the idea of almost like going to school to be a YouTuber, right? Like, hey, I'm a nobody. I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to cut. Like, I'll pay you to just do everything for me, I'll just bring the ideas and I'll just be the, the talent, essentially. Like, it's basically no different than going to like Hollywood Studios five minutes up the street, and then you have your team come in and then you just film it and mm. then they handle it. I don't, I think that'll work for certain people. I think the true thing is to almost invert the concept with things like you're talking about, like making the creators, sorry, the fans a part of it, mm -hmm. you know, 
totally new formats. Like it goes to that analogy you were saying. Like if you've done what you you and your friend do all the time with the washing machine, right. you just get good at doing that. And right. it's applicable to content, it's applicable to e-commerce, it's basically applicable to anything. Right. Right? If you're constantly looking at changing things and trying to be different, it's the same that is like that was applicable to a product, liquid water, I mean liquid death did it. You're just changing the packaging. Right. But you communicated it differently. So that's I think that's where they'll learn a lot. And that's how I started learning, like thinking like a YouTuber as well, like reading marketing books because video is a form of communication. Right. So if you can change the way something is communicated or communicate it better than the next person, then you're technically still being creative. Whether that's how like the communication, the real life way you can do that is like we were talking about with Kendrick Lamar, right? The, that little segment at the end or the intro in the beginning or Casey's time lapse to show progression of time right. rather than just me putting a red arrow. I could do the red arrow, but I'm communicating it completely different. I think you're winning in the, the creativity, you're winning in the edges, not right. in the main. The main is really hard to compete on now because everyone copies each other. Right. No, 100%. So. And, and I think, I think you, you touched on it myself. You know, for me, the thing I want to do more than anything with this show, and the reason I'm really excited about it is I've seen so many podcasts, you know, and, and I don't even like to call it a podcast. I like to call it a show. Mm -hmm. And the difference to me is they have adopted this formula of how many famous people can I talk to? And because they're famous, people will watch. So that's the thumbnail and title, essentially. Exactly, the, the, right? The and guest is the, is the marketing. Exactly. And it makes sense, but what it does is it creates bad content. Mm -hmm. Because for me, almost all of that content is essentially interviewing a famous person. It's really no different than being on Jimmy Fallon. You're just on a low-level amount of Jimmy Fallon. It's also it, really hard to scale. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like imagine impossible. getting the schedules with these people. At yeah. a high level, it's almost impossible. It works if you're also seen as an equal to them. If right. you're Jake Paul, That's and then you bring on you know, someone famous, mm -hmm. especially someone internet famous, you're going to have more of a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you're not Jake Paul, and you're just a random guy, and you bring on, I don't know, Neil deGrasse Tyson or something, you're going to talk about science. Right. That's it. Because there's no common ground outside of that. Exactly. Right. What I want to do with this show is I want to show how interesting a regular combo with normal people can be. That's sick. Because to me, those conversations are a lot better because there's a mutual understanding of each other, right? But there's also not these strict borders and boundaries of what can happen, right? Right. Like even this talk, I feel like we've taken it a bunch of ways yeah, I was yeah. expecting. And I love that because that's how all our talks are, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like if I didn't know you and I was just like, oh, this guy is a manager and I was bringing him on as a marketing expert, mm -hmm. right? Or probably wouldn't even know. I'd probably just bring him on as a manager. I probably wouldn't even know that you're into marketing. Yeah. We're getting such a myopic discussion. And I feel like my goal is to create very dynamic discussions from regular people, which will allow it to be scalable. And of course. <laughs> allow it to be something that's replicatable instead of just like, oh, can we get this person this week? Oh, they're out of town. We're fucked. You know? it, yeah, it's, it's really, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that about you. I really do. And I think you're absolutely right. You just know, like, you know good content as well, so you know how to re-engineer it. Mm -hmm. And this is a very good way of, like, engineering organic content. Because right. everyone has these conversations with their friends. You don't need to be on a podcast to talk about this. You and I have already talked about this off camera dozens of times. Right. right? Now, <laughs> now the camera is just looking into the combo. Exactly. We always talk about this. So I like that. That's, like, my, the best kind of content, I think, when it's organic and it's authentic and you're creating a really good environment for that. That's what I was talking to about um, with uh, Zeth with. Yeah. So we were we were talking, and I was I, I gave him the analogy. It really was an analogy. It was like a real life example. When I used to like 
right out of high school, I used to work valet in Woodland Hills. Oh, really? So a lot of famous people would walk by all the time, mm-hmm. especially during the week. Everyone thinks they're going to go there on Saturdays and Sundays and right. see famous they're people. Those famous people are smart, bro. They go there during, <laughs> on like a Monday when no one's there, you right. know? So like we would meet Post Malone, Kevin Hart. Post Malone with no camera. There was none of this setup, nothing. Mm-hmm. Just genuinely a nice person. I bet. Genuinely a nice person. Like super humble, comes up to you, speaks to you like as if you're, he's, he's naive to his fame. Right. Right. Then like there, throughout his career, there's multiple videos of him on camera just being really nice to people all the time. It's, it's something that everybody knows about Post Malone now. Mm-hmm. It's like become a part of his brand that he's just a nice guy you want to have a beer with. Right. Which is smart why they did the Bud, Bud Light thing because yeah. you're just going to have a beer with, beer with him. And then they did that like whole um, like concert thing where they tour America through mm-hmm. Bud Light. He was one of those people where it's just like he is who he is on camera, just happened to have the cameras on. Right. He doesn't need to act about anything. He doesn't need to like act bigger than he is just for the camera to get views. Right. And you feel like you could have a discussion with him as like a regular person. Yeah, he's just chill. Yeah. There was a video that went viral like on on Monday, last Monday or something, where mm-hmm. some guy was at a restaurant and um he was having like it was his 21st birthday or something, mm-hmm. and Austin Post Malone was there, and he just walked up to him. I'm just, it's like been posted everywhere on Instagram. Anyway, just like said, what's up? Congrats, happy birthday. Yeah, yeah, he was there. there. He's like, thank you for watching my music. He was just standing there for like 20 minutes, just yeah. talking to everybody. Like it was no big deal. Right. And it's funny because you know when you've been around famous people, you realize most of them are pretty normal. Yeah. Right. And and I honestly feel like that's one of the big issues is people talk to these people and they just they they almost look at them as like images, mm-hmm. almost as concepts. It's like. You want to have a discussion with a person as a human being. And like, and especially you as a manager, you get it. Like, what wins clients over is not always your strategy. Half of it is trust. And how and you the, connect with them. Exactly. Yeah. And most of trust and connection is like, are you a real person? Mm-hmm. Like, is this someone that, you know, if I'm alone in a room with, like, can we just have a normal conversation for 10 minutes and it not gets super weird? Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what it is. I, I agree with you. It's a lot of the ego stuff, too. Like, mm, just, point. right? Like, you just got to, like, dumb down the ego. A lot of people, whether you're famous or not, right? It's just, especially you feel it in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's huge. The ego capital of the world. Yeah, man. exactly. So <laughs> just be really level-headed. And I think that's what people will see. They'll yeah. connect with you a lot more. Yeah, you've always been one of the most genuine people I've met, man, especially in this part of the business, which is why you're killing it and why you're going to continue to be very successful, man. I appreciate, I appreciate you. you a lot. We're going to have to do this again, man. Any Let's last words for him? Um, no, I think we're pretty good, bro. Yeah, That's I, about it. Yeah, I think we killed it, man. Hey, really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe. And um, go ahead and join the Patreon. It's first link in the description. We're doing this every single Wednesday, and we will see you next time on Rosé Radio. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Rosé Radio Show. We really appreciate it. If you like what you saw, you can check out any of our other videos right here. And if you want to support us further, you can go on our Patreon, which is linked in the description below, and support us more and get exclusive content and access. Thank you so much.